We've been going through our series on how to see the Christian life clearly. And we've moved into the part where we take the brushstrokes that we learned about that make up the Christian life in the first month. And we're now applying them to the lies that the world tell us. We're on lie three. Um, and tonight's lie, I think, is the most blatantly obvious. Um, I'm fine if y'all are doodling. Know that, especially if you needed to concentrate. Like the number of people that actually needed to concentrate is like less than 10% of students. So just know that. So you make the call if that helps you pay attention or not. Um, But tonight's lie is called life is a battle between good and evil. Life is a battle between good people and even people, evil people. Today's lie that we'll dive into, I think, is the most obvious. I think, especially when we're, the, when we're in the heat of election season, if you've turned on cable television at all, you've seen all the ads that are run. Boom. My opponent was once in prison on a deserted island in Jamaica. How could he run a country or a mayor candidacy or whatever? Like, like, like we, put, we see this uptick in villainizing our opponent. The whole... Um, ad is scripted to make the other side look evil and your side look good. It's actually quite funny. There will be scary music with their opponent in the background and then happy upbeat music at the very end when they're on screen walking with their family all laughing together. <laughs> I love election cycle. Yeah, don't we family? Um, and then what it does though is it drives people apart. It doesn't create dialogue. It creates more tribes. It creates more anxiety. It creates the inability to voice one's opinion. It is a lie combined with the belief that you must be emotionally safe and to trust your emotions that has led to a very distressing time in the history of the world. But I want to give you some hope. I want to give you some hope. This is not the only time this lie has taken place. We actually see this lie played out in Scripture. Um, so, sorry. We are just playing out the story again that we once saw being played out in Scripture. And we're seeing it played out for two reasons. This is our first two fill in the blanks. First, we don't know history and therefore are doomed to repeat it. We don't know our history and are therefore doomed to repeat it. All you got to do is go on YouTube and look up silly on-the-street conversations with people about history. And you too can be depressed about the state of public education. Second, we want so desperately to look in the mirror and see a good person. We want so desperately to look in the mirror and see a good person. That's your next fill in the blank. So how is this lie played out? In the book, Coddling of the American Mind, Lukanoff tells the story of a college administrator and a student. I want to read this story to you because I think it is just so telling. In October 2015 at Claremont McKenna College, a student named Olivia, not that one, whose parents emigrated from Mexico, you see, wrote an essay in a student publication about her feelings of marginalization and exclusion. Olivia noticed that Latinos were better represented on the blue-collar staff at CMC, including janitors and gardeners, than among its administrative and professional staff. And she found this realization painful. She wrote that she felt like she had been admitted to fill a racial quota. She suggested that there, there is a standard or typical person at CMC, and she is not it. This is what she said. Our campus climate and institutional culture are primarily grounded in Western, white, straight, upper-middle-class values. 
In response to this essay, which Olivia sent in the email to CMC staff, Mary Spellman, the dean of students at CMC, sent her a private email two days later. This is her entire email. I'm going to read it to you. Olivia, thank you for writing and sharing this article with me. We have a lot to do as a college and community. Would you be willing to talk with me sometime about these issues? They are important to me and the dean of students staff, and we are working on how we can better serve students, especially those that don't fit our CMC mold. I would love to talk to you more. Best, Dean Spellman. So this is where I leave it up to you. I wanna, I wanna, this is where I want to interact with you. What do you think of Dean Spellman's letter? What do you think of Dean Spellman's letter? Was it kind? Excellent. excellent? Yeah, he's like, that was excellent. That's a great response. How else would you classify it? Doodlers, how would you classify the letter? Yeah, she reached out. She responded. Right? She could have ignored it. What else? Any critiques? Like, if you were going to be your editor, how would you like fix the letter? Those of you that are future English majors, Trey. No, no, not a future English major. You're off the hook. No? Okay. Well, this is how she responded. Um, sorry, this is how she responded. According to students at the college, if, um, if you think they are right, um, if you think the letter was cruel, then you're right. And if you think it was kind, well, then you're probably just expressing your white privilege. <laughs> Most people can probably see that she was showing concern and reaching out with an offer to listen and help. But Olivia was offended by the dean's use of the word mold. She seemed to interpret it in the least generous way possible. That Spellman was implying that Olivia and other students of color do not fit the mold and therefore do not belong at CMC. See last week's lie at work. This was clearly not Spellman's intent... But we know intent doesn't matter anymore. It's about impact. Olivia herself had asserted that at CMC there is a prototype or a pattern of identities and that she does not match. That was Olivia's statement. And as Spellman later explained, she used the word mold to express her empathy with Olivia because it's a word that other CMC students use in conversations with her to describe the sense of not fitting in. Any student who is already feeling like an outsider might feel a flash of negativity when reading the word mold. But what should one do with that flash of emotion? There is a principle in philosophy or rhetoric, and this is your next fill in the blank, that we've forgotten as a culture. It's called the principle of charity, which says that, some, which says that one should interpret other people's statements in the best, most reasonable form, not in the worst or most offensive way possible. But that has begun to disappear as people believe these lies. Instead, Olivia posted Spellman's email on her Facebook page about two weeks after receiving it with the comment, I just don't fit the wonderful CMC mold. Feel free to share. Her friends did share the email, and the campus erupted in protest. There were marches, demonstrations, demands given to the president for mandatory diversity training, and demands for Spellman to resign. 
Two students went on a hunger strike, vowing that they would not eat until Spellman was gone. In one scene, which you can view on YouTube, students formed a circle and spent over an hour airing their grievances through blowhorns against Spellman and other administrators who were in the circle to listen. Spellman apologized for her email being poorly worded and told the crowd that her intention was to affirm the feelings and experiences expressed in the article and to provide the support. Eh, provide the support. Next fill in the blank. But the students did not accept her apology. At one point, a woman berated the dean to cheers from students for falling asleep during the proceedings, which the woman interpreted as an act of disrespect. But if you actually watch the video of the confrontation, Spellman was not falling asleep. She was trying to hold back her tears. The university did not fire Spellman, but neither did its leaders publicly express any support for her. Faced with escalating anger of students, amplified by social media and the national news coverage, Spellman resigned. What are your thoughts on the story? What are your thoughts on the story? Someone who hasn't answered out loud yet. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought in your mind one of the things that said when they said I'm old, like, um, I did think that was a little bit subjective to what people would think about that. Like, okay. Saying that we only apply to a specific race. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think of the story as a whole? Can Can you read what the dean said in either that sentence or maybe the one even? Sure, because context matters, doesn't it? Would you be willing to talk with someone about these issues? They are important to me and the dean of students staff, and we are working on how we can better serve students, especially those who don't fit our CMC mold. Everything goes crazy. Like everybody can prove everything you've said, um, and it can also get taken out of context. So to me, it's really scary. Anyone else feel scary? A little scared by that? Yeah. I mean, I think she deserved it. I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> I don't think even her use of mold was inappropriate because every institution like that is going to have an average, mm-hmm. obviously, because that's when you have. Lots of things coming in. There's going to be an average of them. She's not saying, you know, she's not saying you have to conform to this. She's saying, how can we better improve this? Okay. Well, she's that, stating that it exists so that it can be improved. Yeah. I mean, she's that she's reaching out to her to have an opportunity. It's not like the dean made them that quote unquote mold. It just it is what it is. It exists. That, you know, you have you have a certain makeup, of course. But she's reaching out to her to try to have an opportunity to discuss things with her. And I think it's a perfect example of somebody switching words around to try to make it fit your agenda. But when you reread it, mm-hmm. what I hear is the like the especially students that don't fit our mold. It's not necessary to the story. 
It's not necessary to the case. And so in an effort to actually relate more or communicate better or like in an effort of trying to go above and beyond, it actually made it worse. Mm -hmm. That's assuming that was her intent. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? ruin everything in five words like the entire rest of the letter is professional and appropriate and that somebody took offense to one phrase Mm -hmm. anything else Watson you're kind of brilliant on the philosophical level (laughs) yes you do Okay. <laughs> hey, you know, and, and Todd, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, I was listening to a sermon the other day, or somebody was talking, and they were talking about how, uh, oh no, it was on the radio, that's what it was, and this, this guy was talking about how God uses sarcasm, and, and, and we don't know, you know, because again, it's in the written word mm-hmm. right there, you can't necessarily tell the intent mm-hmm. 100%. But it could possibly have been sarcasm. I mean, it really could have been. But they were. But this guy was even talking about how God has used sarcasm. I mean, like when he was talking to Job, and he was like, "Oh, so like you know better? Like you know, this is your deal." And yep. you know, I mean, that it's not always a horrible thing. But again, you can't tell intent. You can't. So you see how the lies played out. I mean, that's just one kind of that happens on college campuses. And it'll probably continue to happen more until you get there. So they're paving the way for you. You guys get to enjoy your hunger strikes. I know Deborah will. Um, is, like, what, is that the center deviation for what, what university is it? Um, yeah, so I'm not going there. Claremont McKenna College. No, it's in Oregon. Organ, I think. Well, I think it's an organ. Okay. But no, but here's the thing. Makes so much But these things happen. These these type of protests, I think, have happened pretty much in the bottom 48 states of the union at this point. I mean, this is common. So go to Alaska, kids. So yeah, essentially, they'll pay you. Um, so me and Ian were talking about this. Me and Ian were talking about this earlier this week. In theater, the most fun roles to play are the villains. It is fun. If you think it's the protagonist, you're wrong. Repent. You're evil. Um, I'm good, according to this lie. The reason they are the most fun characters to play is that a good villain is one that convinced that they are doing the right thing. They're convinced of it. Hopefully, I don't spoil anything. But Thanos, I think, is a perfect example. He truly believes he's doing the universe good. He's doing a great service. For the good of the entire universe, he wants to wipe out half of it so that he can save it. Everyone who doesn't believe this is evil in his eyes. He is trusting his gut on this one. He saw his world perish because of too many people, so he found reasons to trust his emotions. He doesn't care to talk to the other side or get another perspective. He's made up his mind, and it's better to live with the safety of half the universe than the unknown of a populated one. Notice how he too believes all the lies. To Thanos, to Thanos, Thanos is the hero. And I think Satan thinks this too, right? Satan thinks we should all be kings. If God was a good God, he would let us all set up our own little kingdoms. 
He attempted to free the angels of heaven from the service of God, of the universe, and he thought that was a good thing. And anyone who believed differently is evil and to be destroyed. And we are quick to fall into this trap of demonizing people, especially if they're everyone else, right? We are quick to compare our theology to other denominations that are full of lost, sinful people. We're quick to see ourselves as victims. We're quick to see ourselves as anything but the potential villain. But we're all the potential villain. We're all the potential villain. We all have the potential for evil things. No one at your age, nor I think at many ages, dreams of growing up and becoming a murderer, an adulterer, a drunk driver, a slanderer, or a miser. No one sets off as that, that being a career goal. But people like you and me grow up every day to these futures. There's a memoir by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a Russian, a Russian dissident of Soviet area who criticized Joseph Stalin, wrote this letter to a friend about his time in a Siberian prison. He reflects upon his own virtue, his unselfish dedication to the motherland from the Siberian prison. When it occurs to him that he himself had nearly joined the security service, the NKVD, which evolved into the KJV. And he realizes that he could just as easily have become the executioner rather than the condemned man marching off to his possible execution. He says this, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. And this is your last fill in the blank. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The line, the dividing line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Look, Jesus addresses this issue specifically. We're going to read the Good Samaritan in our transformation groups because Jesus attacks this head on. The Pharisees see themselves as good and the Samaritans as evil. They believed this lie too. I want us to examine how Jesus addresses this lie. And I want us to find ways that we can build bridges to those that believe it.